0: Spirit came. Amen. You think about that Spirit. Think about the disciples that were there waiting for the the Spirit to show up. Jesus is with them there, and there's about 120 well. He's with his disciples, actually, when he he had this part of the conversation. He says, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere because the Spirit is going to come. Of course, they asked him some questions. He's like, it's not for you to know the seasons, but just listen, wait here, and listen, you'll know when it gets here. Amen. I wonder how many days after that, because it was about 10 days later that the Spirit showed up with a sound of a mighty rushing wind and tongues as of fire fell upon them. And I wonder how long, that must have been a long 10 days. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you feel anything? I don't feel anything. You feel anything? You feel there? You get anything? Hey, if some of y'all get it before I do, y'all let me know. But there's some confusion when people don't understand uh, you know, the, the scriptures and have a, um, maybe a, a foggy view of theology you know, as, it, as it encompasses the whole study of God and his nature, and that includes his book, the Bible. And listen, I have some really good friends, by the way. I can make fun of people because I have some really good friends, and one of my best friends, not only is he uh, a co-pastor of a Pentecostal church, but so is his dad. And that we we all work together. We grew up together. I've known them forever. His dad is like a dad to me, uh, and brother Danny is like a brother to me. And so y'all have heard us. Matter of fact, Danny has spoke here before, and he will again, right? Uh, and so listen, I, I want you to understand that that I have other friends that I love dearly. Then we don't always agree on everything, but as long as we agree on the major things, some of this other stuff is sometimes a little difficult to navigate. But I think that if we look at the scriptures, we'll get a clearer picture of what it is. And how it's to be used. A lot of people running Baptist circles will say that the gift of tongues is not used today. uh, Because it says, you know, in in the last days, uh, tongues will cease. uh, Prophecies will cease and all those kind of things. Uh, Listen, I want you to know, and I've told other Baptist preachers that. I said, listen, I don't know who you think you are. But you can't stop the Lord if he wants to give that gift out. Who do you think that you control? Matter of fact, Paul was very uh, adamant about the fact that God controlled. It's his will on who he gives gifts. But it's just one. And when we see the scriptures today, we'll see that that one gift, as Paul talked about it, was actually very low on the totem pole. But there was a purpose for why God did what he did. And we're going to look at today as the coming of his spirit and how it plays out in the story of redemption for mankind. We know today, we think about the spirit. Uh, we know that we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit uh, upon conversion, right? Right? Uh, and we're fully immersed in the Spirit. And so some people think the baptism of the Spirit, matter of fact, sometimes people get a little upset if you uh, call it the Holy Spirit versus the Holy Ghost, right? If you grew up in my day and age and run into Pentecostal circles, you'll, you'll hear about the Holy Ghost. Well, I'll have you to know, when you go back to the original language, the same exact word is used. Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, same exact entity. You can call it whichever one you want. I really don't think God minds as long as you mind the Spirit. Amen as long as you mind the Spirit. So we're going to dig into this. We don't, we don't shy away from hard things around here or difficult things, but let's look at the Scripture. So i got a lot of Scripture to go over today, so have your Bible handy, stay in it, and let's look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, then we're going to have prayer. so you know what to do next. You need to stand on your feet, because we're going to pray after we read this Scripture. Amen. I expect the same level of excitement when the music was playing as we do now. Amen. So, amen, every now and then, ain't going to bother me a bit. If you let out a hallelujah or a woo-hoo, it won't matter to me. Matter of fact, I might preach just a little bit harder, amen. You know what's happening? I preach harder on the weeks so I don't feel so swift. I ain't felt swift all week, all week, just been having issues. But, man, I don't know about, it. just something about just being in God's house with God's people. Just does something for you, Amen. That's why he wants us to come together. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that we have felt here today. Lord, the excitement that has run through our church, excited about the simple fact that you're still on the throne. And we know that you are faithful and that you love us, and that you gave your son to die for us. And Lord, today we are thankful, we are overwhelmed, and we are, as Chris said, in awe of who you are. Lord, and of the encouragement and of the blessings that we can feel in your presence. So, God, we ask you to go with us today, Lord, as we open your word. Lord, we ask that you would guide us, give us wisdom, that this would be all about you and nothing about me or any one of us here. Lord, we love you. And we ask these things in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Now, the word Pentecost comes from the word penta, meaning 50. So Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. And so on this particular day, it's been 50 days since Christ has been crucified. Now, at this point, Christ has appeared uh, to, to many As Paul said, even to 500 at one time, then he appeared also to his disciples uh, several times. But now, they were what we assume is the upper room, and Jesus said that he's going to go, but to wait here because the Spirit will come. And so imagine how many Jews have descended upon Jerusalem at this point because they are coming together for the Feast of Pentecost. Also known as the Feast of Weeks, which comes after the Feast of the first fruits. And so the Jewish people were a lot about feasts. I wonder sometimes if they weren't about feasts as Baptists are the homecomings. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, the old homecomings where everybody brought that covered dish. And listen, banana pudding. Whew. Land sakes alive, get out of town. My Aunt Susie used to make banana pudding for every homecoming. Never got it any other time of the year. I thought, matter of fact, I thought banana pudding was a homecoming food. I thought maybe them little vanilla wafers they put on top for decoration. I thought maybe they was to represent manna or something. I don't know. I was a kid. All I know was I made a beeline. When they got done saying prayer over the food, I made a beeline to banana pudding. I don't care if I eat anything else that day. I was getting some of that banana pudding. Jews, they loved their feasts. These feasts were to commemorate things. They were ordained by God. He sent them out. He told them to have these, these commemorations, if you will. And so think about how many Jews would have gathered there at Jerusalem for the the feast of Pentecost, not realizing what was about to happen. So let's kind of go back and look at Acts chapter 1, and so we can kind of set the tone, if you will. Now, Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1, by the way, this is all in your, uh, the custom church app if you have that open. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, now y'all know who Theo is, right? I call him Theo for short, right? Me and Theo, we're like this, right? If you go to Luke chapter 1, you're going to find out that Luke is addressed to who? The same guy, Theophilus. that that Luke said that he wrote, as all gave him account. In other words, he recorded the accounts of those who had seen the works of Christ. And he gave them, or put them together so they would have a a historical document about the ministry of Christ. And so Acts chapter 1 is break opening volume 2 of Luke's book. Volume 1 would be the book of Luke. Acts would be the second volume of the book of Luke. And so he's writing here to Theophilus. Now, some people say Theophilus may have been a person, but some people say that Theophilus was a common name in the Greek at the time, and that maybe Luke could just address it to a very common name. Um, Because first off, remember, they're being persecuted at this time. And to write it to a specific person may put them in more danger than they already were. We don't know. That's one plausible idea. Don't take that for being concrete. That's just one of the ideas. And so maybe the letter was addressed to a common name. It'd be like, it would be like writing to, to John Smith or to Bobby Brown or, or any kind of other common name that you could think of, right? Uh, and so it would be just be writing to John Doe. And so, But he writes this book and he addresses it to the same person. It says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he's saying, look, that's when I closed down book one. And now this is volume two. It says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with him, he ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me that for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus stayed 40 days and then he ascended. Pentecost is what day? Number 50. Ten long days, I'm sure they were there waiting. In verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they asked, the, uh, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Heavenly Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now just in that one last verse there is we could just preach on that if we wanted all day and save the rest you know for this afternoon after we break for lunch and come back for the second part. I'm just looking at that idea I'm just seeing faces. Chris got that you know he looked like that guy from different strokes. Remember that? What you talking about Willis? Right. I won't do that. But if you think about it here, it says to be my witnesses. And so that's one of the things that you really need to understand is what the Holy Spirit has done is to come and, and walk alongside with us. Remember, we talked about the Holy Spirit. I've preached on that in John chapter 14, the paracletos or the paraclete, one that comes from the same source and one who strengthens when it was, when it was, um, uh, translated into English, in the King's English, on the King James Version, it, it talks about the, the comforter is what was used. The comforter comes from the Latin word cumforte. Right? And if you, I was talking to Bobby, I said, Bobby, let me tell you a little bit about music in the Bible and how it goes together. And I told him about that word, right? Cum forte, And forte is a, a musical term. It means to play with strength. If you ever see, they got a little kind of cursive F in the music. And so he's saying here that, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit, but we got to understand is why did the Holy Spirit come? We're going to see the unity that the Holy Spirit creates and identifies his people. But the whole purpose of the Spirit indwelling us is simply so we can be his witnesses. And so we got to understand the working of the Holy Spirit is never to identify us as something special. It's never to make us feel that one is better than the other. We realize that there's only one true baptism of the Holy Spirit. There isn't, I get a Holy Spirit and then I get a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit came, it immersed each and every one of them so that they receive power to be witnesses. And so that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives as well is strengthen us, give us wisdom, walk alongside us so that we may do the work of the Lord. Amen. Salvation is not to end with us, but flow through with us that we may be his witnesses here, there and everywhere. Amen. So they're waiting. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And in verse 4 it says, and they were all filled, right, in, in, I'm sorry, in chapter 2, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now you've got to realize there's about 120, the Bible says, they were numbered as about 120 that are gathered here, that are waiting for the Spirit to come. And it says that when the Holy Spirit came, it came as the sound of a mighty Russian wind. It doesn't say it was a mighty Russian wind, but it had the sound. If you've ever heard like a tornado or something like that, I would imagine that it maybe sounds something of that nature. But something I'm alerted them to, hey, something is about to go down here. Something is happening. I don't know what it is, but something supernatural is happening. And then the Spirit comes upon them, and they begin to speak in other tongues. Now, the word used here for tongues in the Greek is a word glossa. Glossa. It's where we get our word glossary. How I many of you guys remember being in school when they would give you uh, words to look up in the glossary, right? You remember that? Whatever subject you were in, they would give you these words and you had to look up the definitions and write them. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I always thought that was just stupid at the time. Why do I got to write something down that's already been written down? It's in the book. If I need it, I'll just turn to it. Why, I gotta, why do I got to memorize these things? Have to take a test. I always scored poorly on those things. I don't know about you, but I like multiple choice and true and false, because the odds are much better. Now, later on as an adult, and this is what happens, kids, you, when you grow up to be an adult, you realize how stupid you were when you was a kid. Because I know what some of the kids are thinking right now, see, even Pastor Huff agrees with me, I shouldn't have to write this down. Well, let me burst your bubble real quick so you get the big picture. What I have found as an adult is that when you write something down, it commits it to memory. That's why your parents gives you demerits sometimes. When you've been bad and you had right to write the demerits, I will not hit my brother, or I will not do whatever. It's so that it burns it in your memory. Not to do that again. Demerits work. Give them out some. I just give them demerit when you get home just for the sake of hey, Pastor told me I had to do this, I need to do it. Demerits for everybody. Give them something good to remember. I will worship the Lord. Something good. But writing down a commission. So Glossa, the real definition of Glossa is it's a language or dialect. It's a language or dialect from either a location or a people group. I met a young man that Brother Josue was ministering to. And he was from South America. But he was from way down in the jungle of South America and what they found was he spoke a, a Spanish that was just almost foreign to Brother Josue and them. And Brother Josue, they, they, had a, they, they knew that that language existed, but they had never met anyone that that's actually how they grew up. And I forget the story of how he ended up here in America, but they were ministering him and, and a family took him in. Right, He didn't have anybody. He was a young teenager, if I remember correctly. He was like mid-teens. And they were trying to learn what he was saying, and he was trying to learn what Josue would consider normal Spanish, or South American Spanish, if you will. It's a little different from European Spanish over in Spain. And they called it dialect. That's what they called it. He spoke a specific dialect. Apparently, this, these folks were kind of isolated, and their language had just evolved over time. By the way, you realize even the English language, they're still adding words to the dictionary. They're still adding that stuff. We still come up with new words. Languages evolve. By the way, that's a language evolving is actually a good thing to understand when it comes to translations of the Bible. So people are kind of don't understand that or a little confused about why the translations and don't even realize that even the King James version, the one, if you are using the King James, God bless you. right? I still use it from time to time as well. I love the language of it. It's beautiful. Hard to understand though. But even the King James, if you're having one and that's what you use, you probably don't understand this, but you're not using this 1611 version. You're using a 1765 called the New Oxford Edition. When I tell this to some people who are King James only kind of folks, well, they get a little angry at me. I'm like, hey, I didn't, I didn't make it up. Go look it up. Why are, you, why are people using the 1765 New Oxford Edition? Because language evolved. And they always were trying to keep it current. Right, so that's why we use the English standard version, just so you understand. I threw that all that in wasn't even in my notes. Just wanted to throw that in, so you kind of understand. And so, when we look at these tongues that were being spoken, right? These tongues were were foreign to the one who was speaking them. In other words, the the empowering of the Holy Spirit was enabling them to do something that they couldn't do themselves. They didn't know this language, and it was foreign to the one who was speaking it. But it had a a very distinct purpose. And the first purpose we see is that God was, was making His Word known in a miraculous way so that those who could hear. And so when we see what's happening here, the Holy Spirit's being poured out on about 120 people that instantly started praising God and speaking in these, in these different languages that they didn't even know, but the Holy Spirit had empowered them to do that. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do things that will promote and advance the cause of Christ, not us. Remember Paul, when he talked about his imprisonment, he said to, don't be sorry about this because it was needed to advance the gospel. Don't feel sorry for him for his hardship. And so we see here that it's a very specific reason. So let's look at verses 5 through 8 of Acts chapter 2. It says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now, if you go on down to read verse 9... And on further, you'll see that there's a whole bunch of different people from places I can't pronounce. So I decided to forego that. You can read that on your own. But I counted 15 distinct people groups that may have been other languages or maybe other dialects of a language. But imagine the people who hear this 120 people who've empowered with the Holy Spirit that come just as Jesus promised and now they're speaking in this language that they don't understand and they don't know. But those around them are now amazed because they're hearing in their own language. And they said, are not these Galileans? Galileans had a distinct way of talking. They had their own dialect, if you will. Now you've got to realize Greek was spoken by a lot of these different countries, right? Uh, what they call Keone Greek. Because for them to do business with Rome, because remember, the the majority of what they considered the world at that time was under Roman rule, having been conquered by Alexander the Great about 400 years prior to this. So they're all used to hearing that, but now they're hearing it in their own native language. It's not that they're speaking in this common Greek that they all would have learned to to speak at that time but this is something different. And they say, are these not Galileans? And why would they say that? Because Galileans had a very distinct way of talking and they're like, there is something weird going on because I know a Galilean when I hear one. And this ain't it. I don't know, have you ever heard a foreign language that you kind of recognize the language as soon as you hear it, but you don't know what it means and you don't know what they're saying? To me, Spanish has a very distinct sounds. I have a... Hispanic guy works for me named Julia. Of course, we make fun of him a little bit because we love him. Or at least that's what I tell him. And they have problems with certain letters of the alphabet that we just normally say, but they can't. Like the letter J. So Julian, in his own language, would be Julian. And he works out of New Jersey. And he calls me, And he'll say, I got a problem with the customer. I said, where are they from? New Jersey. Cracks me up every time. And I got a guy that works for me named Jim. We call him Jimmy. And he says, hey, I was talking to Yimmy. (laughs) I just laugh every time he says it. He's a very smart individual, by the way. College educated, great guy. Love him to death. But you know what's interesting is I, I've had technicians call and get Julian, and they would hang up just because of his accent and try to call back and get somebody else. i got to tell you, that their anger goes through me when that happens because I know that this boy's forgot more than they'll ever know, and they could learn a lot if they just listen. But I can tell that, that language, but I can't speak it. But that's a lot like what these Galileans would be. People would have heard... These Galileans speak normally like they're Galileans. Just like you and I would say they're speaking Spanish. Or I don't know if you've ever heard like German being spoken. It's also got a very distinct tone to it as far as the, 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 how the words are pronounced and how the letters are pronounced. And these folks, these guys are from Galilean. They're Galileans. How? How am I hearing this in my own language? Now, some people would think that tongues would be some type of heavenly language. I've heard people describe it like some kind of unknown heavenly language that only God and the angels could understand. And I have to tell you that, that listen, there's, there's a few small verses Paul goes over in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 that may give us an idea that that may be a possibility, but there is absolutely nothing concrete. But the one thing I can tell you here is tongues being spoken here are a distinct language that was not known to the speaker, but was well known to the hearer. God wanted to make sure there was no mistake that He was at work so that He gets the glory. But I want to tell you, the disciples are getting ready to learn something over the next several weeks that's just going to blow their minds. And that's what we really want to walk through so we understand the significance of Pentecost. Now, first off, you got to realize that this is the fulfillment of prophecy. Not only did Jesus say that the Spirit was going to come, but we see in earlier texts in the Old Testament that God prophesied through the prophets both Joel and Isaiah about this happening. Let's turn to Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. Joel chapter 2. I'll give you a second to get there. It's in the Old Testament. It's near the end of the Old Testament. I was listening to a message from R.C. Sproul about this very subject, and he kind of broke down Pentecost, not only in what happened the day of Pentecost, but subsequently, what would happen? And he kind of broke people down into four people groups. And we're going to see that what happened at Pentecost is going to continue. And that God's going to leave no, God's going to leave just no doubt. Not only that the Holy Spirit was there, it was that the Holy Spirit was also going to unite them as one body. One heart. And one church. Maybe you didn't know this, but we think about the Catholic Church. We think about the Catholic Church being, you know, the the Pope and all that. Not realizing, I don't know if you knew this, but Catholic means universal. And so now we look at Christian faith. We we look at the Catholic as a denomination more in itself. And then we have the Protestants, right? Protestant comes from the word protest. Martin Luther being the kind of, the, 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 crowning figure of what we call the Reformation period, when he took issue with the Catholic Church and what was being done, like selling penance and things of that nature, and breaking the backs of the poor people with their taxes so that they could build big cathedrals, instead of taking that money to feed the poor and clothe the naked as Jesus commanded us. And so Martin Luther nailed what's known as uh, the was 99 Thesis, 95, 99, 99 Thesis, I believe it was. And he nailed it onto the door of the church at Wittenberg in protest. And so that's where the word Protestant comes from. Just to give you a little something else. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. It says this, And it shall come to pass afterward, I'm sure you've heard this, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. And we see here the day of Pentecost with the Spirit coming down and immersing all of those Jewish believers, we're going to see that that is just the beginning of what the Spirit is going to do. And we're going to see Joel fulfilled before we leave here today. Now let's go to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12. Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12 says this. For by people of strange lips, with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people. To whom he has said, this is rest. Give rest to the weary, and this is response, yet they would not hear. So it says that they're going to hear from foreign tongues, and still yet, they're not going to hear. Now, some theologians say that this is kind of a a, a scripture that's fulfilled in what we call a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. The near fulfillment being that when they were taken captive by the Assyrians and taken back to Babylon... And because of them, you know, obviously being foreign to the Jews that they would, that would mark something to them and they would see this scripture and they would remember. But the far fulfillment is Pentecost. And so we see here both of these prophecies being fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Now, I want you to realize today, that's not just because we see the coming of the Holy Spirit here and resting upon those who now believe, It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit was not active up until now. It's not like the Holy Spirit took a nap in the Old Testament and waited for Jesus to to be ascended and then all of a sudden come on the theme. The Holy Spirit was active, and we see the Holy Spirit coming to rest on many people in the Old Testament, giving them power and strength that was not theirs to do that which normal man could not do. And the Holy Spirit would rest upon His prophets and give them word from God and give them unbelievable power. I also think about it as he did also with the judges. We see men of war do great things and mighty things through God's help, through the work of the Holy Spirit upon them. Anytime that you see God moving on someone in the Old Testament, it was moving through the person of the Holy Spirit upon them. I think about Samson. You remember Samson? Had all that strength. Ended up with that old wretched woman, Delilah. Ended up cutting off his hair. She tried to trick him like two or three times and he knew she was just bad news and still couldn't, just couldn't shake. By the way, if you really want to understand addiction, reading the story of Samson, kind of give you some insight. Amen? But at the end of Samson's life, he prayed God that he would give him strength just one more time. And he grabbed a hold of the pillars and he collapsed the whole building, wiping them all out. Holy Spirit came upon Samson and empowered him. But there's one I want to, it's not in your app, by the way, but I want you to turn to the book of Numbers just for a minute. And I want you to see something that's kind of cool. In Numbers chapter 11, I'll give you a moment to get there. So in Numbers chapter 11, we're going to read verse 14. This is Moses speaking. He says, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. I know what you're thinking. What does this got to do with Pentecost? I'm going to explain it to you. First off, that's how Mo- Moses is wore out wore out. He's been listening to the people complain. By the way, people are complaining now that manna. Manna for breakfast, manna for lunch, manna for dinner, manna for midnight snack. All I got is manna, manna, manna. I don't know about you, but when I find something I like, I'll just eat the dickens out of it. Ask Sal. I like something bloody and cheese. I could eat it every day. Eggs, I could eat every I could live on that. I could. Don't bother me. I eat eggs every day. So when I hear people complain about manna, I'm like, if it tastes good, I'd have probably been cool with it. I don't know. They probably had manna. They probably tried some condiments or something on them, a little ketchup on manna, some mustard, Find whatever combination you like. But they was complaining about manna. Now they're complaining, and Moses hears people weeping. Go ahead and read the whole chapter 11 of Numbers later, and you'll get the idea. They're all complaining, right, and, and weeping. The brothers out here in the desert, all they got to eat is manna. Just manna, manna, manna. And Moses like, man, I can't take no more. Can't take it. So look at verse 16. Moses done asked, ask, Lord, just kill me now. Lord, just take me out of here. Man's got to feel pretty bad to get to that point. Verse 16 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the, what does it say, spirit that is on you, and I will put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Do you see that Moses wore out? Now he's choosing 70 people. And the Lord's going to give him some of that spirit just upon Moses. So that they all they are empowered with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's been around, well, as long as God has. Holy Spirit's been active in the Old Testament. And when you see all that the Holy Spirit has done to empower those people and bring them through all these different circumstances, then we start to understand how the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk and to be His witnesses here, there, and everywhere. But let's go on down. I want you you to see this because there's something that Moses says at the end, and I absolutely love it. In verse 24, it says, So Moses went out and told the people uh, the words of the Lord. He gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now, two men, and that was just a sign. Remember, there's more than one gift of the spirit. That was just one sign used there. Tongues being used there wouldn't have done anything because they were all Israelites. You see the difference? God gets to choose where to use the gifts, not us. And it's about what promotes his plan of salvation for us. That's what's important. Not the receiver of the gift, but the receiver of the word that saves. Amen. Verse 26, now two men remained in the camp. One was name was Eldad and the other name was Medad. Sounds to me like both of their mothers didn't like them very well, give them that kind of name. And the spirit rested upon them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad Dad and Me Dad are prophesying in the camp." Oh, doesn't sound like a bad kid, Moses. I gotta tell you something. El Dad and Me Dad are out there doing what you're supposed to be doing. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, "My Lord Moses, stop them." But Moses said to him, "Are you jealous for my sake?" In other words, Aaron, why are you saying this? Is it for my sake? Are you worried about me? Or maybe maybe Aaron just didn't like it because he wasn't one of them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? And he says, would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. But do you get that line? I would that everybody would feel the strengthening and would receive the Holy Spirit. You know what's beautiful about the day of Pentecost? Moses' wish came true. Two thousand years before Pentecost, Moses is out there, and he's saying, "I would that listen, are you jealous for me, Don't be jealous for me?" I would that everybody would feel this. I would that everybody would know what it's like to walk with the Lord and have His Spirit within them and have that Spirit that strengthens us and empowers us to walk in this world today that empowers us to live in such a way that makes us witnesses for Almighty Holy God. Not for our glory, but for His. And you know what happens though when we're walking and we're supposed to be His witnesses? And we find ourselves in a situation where somebody is speaking ill of God. Or a question comes up and we feel that, that, that feeling in our gut that tells us that we need to speak up and say something because we have the answer, we have the hope that everybody needs and now here's a circumstance that has been presented to me and now I need to speak the wisdom of Almighty God and the Holy Spirit is telling us, open your mouth. And I don't know about you, but how many times you choke back those words well, they don't want to hear what I have to say. Or I didn't know what to say. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit's for. To empower us. Give us wisdom. And help us in those moments where we feel less than. Or we feel inadequate. Huff by himself is inadequate. But with the quickening of the Holy Spirit, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Moses like, I would love everybody to experience this. So let's continue on. So now we see that the Jews that are there, that hear the 120... Being indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Now we see that that's just the beginning. Let's go back to Acts, and I want you to go to chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. You see, many Jews were there. They experienced the Holy Spirit upon those who believed, 120 of them. They heard God's word uh, and God's praises being spoken there in their own language. And then Peter proceeds to preach and explain what has happened. And 3,000 came to believe in Christ that day. All Jews. All Jews. But there's more. You ever seen one of them stupid ads on TV? Wait, wait, there's more. You get all this or 19 99 but Wait! There's more. Order today. And you'll receive not one, but two orders for $19.99. I know, right? But wait! There's more. I'm going to sell shamwals if this preaching thing don't work out. In Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17... We've seen God now present himself. Jews came to know Christ. There was already 120 that were Jews that believed upon Christ. Holy Spirit came to all of them. All. It fell on all of them. And now 3,000 have come to know Christ because of what they witnessed. or They saw God's power. They heard in their own language. They were amazed. And then when they were presented with the story of the gospel by Peter, they accepted Christ. And they all would receive the Holy Spirit as well. Why do we know that? Because there are many verses that explain to us this very nature. And so in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, we've already had the Jews now receive the Holy Spirit. Now it's on to, I like R.C. Sproul calls them half-Jews. The Samaritans. Remember, the Jews didn't like Samaritans. But the gospel had went out to Samaria. And so when the, when the apostles heard this, they had to go see for themselves. So in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they may receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen. He, the person of the Holy Spirit, by the way. It's not a it, it's a he. Had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. The Jews, Holy Spirit. Now the Samaritans, the one the Jews hated. Some called them half-Jews. That's what R.C. Sproul referred to them as because they intermarried. That's why the Jews didn't like them. So now here's the Samaritans. Now they've received the Holy Spirit. What do you think Peter and John are thinking now? Wait a second. The Holy Spirit ain't just for us. What? We're Jews. We're Israel. He's going to give it to the Samaritans. But wait, there's more. Let's go to chapter 10 of Acts. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to save some reading. It's in your app if you have it. Read Acts chapter uh, 10, verses 19 through 33. But let me just paraphrase it for you real quick. And then we'll go down to verse 44. That's where I'm going to pick up reading in just a minute. Remember, Peter had been led by the Spirit. Peter had been up on the roof. He had been sleeping. He saw uh, this vision, right, with his sheet knit before corners. And there was all these animals. And, and he was told by God, you know, rise, uh, you know, and kill and eat. But Lord, I've never eaten any unclean things. Then God says, don't you uh, call what I make unclean. Right? So then after that vision, they send for Peter to go to the house of Cornelius, who was not a Jew or a Samaritan. He was a Gentile. He's what R.C. Sproul referred to as a God-fearer. Right? This, this Cornelius was a godly man who believed in God, but he, and, and he believed in the God of, of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he hadn't submitted himself to the rite of circumcision as would have been done by a normal Jew. And so that's the only thing he lacked, if you will. But Peter learned a big story here, because Peter would have never went into Cornelius' house. And then in his passages, we find out that Peter says, I, I perceive that God is not a respecter of persons. Because when God told him to go, he realized that, hey, that Cornelius, Cornelius was made in God's image just as he was. And so there, Peter ministered to them. And so that's where we pick up in verse 44. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be, na- to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain there some days. So now the people who came with Peter were, were obviously Jewish as he was. And now imagine their amazement. These wasn't even half Jews. These were Gentiles. And they've received the Spirit as well. But these were God-fearers. They they already believed in, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, well, maybe that had something to do with it. But wait! There's more. All right. Turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And let's read what happened in Ephesus. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Acts 19, chapter, 1, uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It says, And he said to them do, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. That's the last one they had heard from. So they were just following what they had heard from John. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. So they didn't even know who that was. But they believed in what John taught, and they were just following that the best they could. It says on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There was about twelve men in all, and they entered the synagogue for about three months, spoke boldly in reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So we see the Jews, we see the half-Jews, we see the the Gentiles who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now we see a group of Gentiles that didn't hardly understand anything. They just believed John about repenting and were just doing the best they could. And guess what? The Holy Spirit has come and has rested on them as well. And all of them received the Holy Spirit. Do you see the significance of Pentecost coming before your eyes? Joel said that God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Remember that it was God of the Israelites, it was Israel, His chosen people, and now we see that Jesus has come, He's given His life a ransom for absolutely everybody. And all who will receive Him as Lord will receive the Holy Spirit. There were none who were left out, there were no haves and have-nots. You see, we realize because of this special gift that was given and each people group received this very one same gift, it helped him understand the unity that the Holy Spirit does by resting on all believers who believe in Christ Jesus as Lord and follow him and are committed and persevere in him. And we are united today by the Holy Spirit and what he has done. Now listen, tongues is not the only gift. There's a lot of other gifts. Paul said, if you, even if you have tongues and you have love, you have absolutely nothing, you're just like a noisy gong. And so it's not that we should seek this one particular gift. Instead, we should seek unity because we are united in Christ Jesus and realize that this gift was given for a a, a very specific purpose. Imagine if God would have given a different gift to one other group. Wait a second. We had tongues. You had tongues. You had... you, You didn't have tongues? Oh. Sorry about your bad luck. I guess you're not it with us. You'll be second class. But God makes sure that this prophecy is absolutely fulfilled. That there is absolutely no question that Jesus Christ died for whosoever will. And that you and I are we're united because of the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 9, just for a second. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, that's not on your app either. now let's start at verse 9 chapter 8 and I want you to just understand that we all believers are indwelled with the Holy Spirit if we're a true follower of Christ now are there those who may claim to know Christ and haven't been indwelled with the Holy Spirit I believe there are people that come in and out of churches every week that are going to split hell wide open absolutely but you know why they're not indwelled with the Holy Spirit because they're not truly committed to Christ he's not Lord They just want some feeling of false confidence that they're a part of the body of Christ because they enter his house. You can come in and out my house. Don't make you a Hoffmaster, amen? Now, if I adopt you into my family, you'll be a Hoffmaster. And we see Paul use that kind of language specifically in Galatians. We are grafted into the family of God whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. But there are those who may be claimed to know Christ, but truly in their heart have not repented. But let's look at Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 9. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Do you like how he says that? If in fact. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of the sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give you your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Can you be a son or daughter of God without the Spirit? No, you cannot. There are some people that will teach that there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then there's this other baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the only thing that identifies that baptism of the Holy Spirit seems to be one gift that we already find out in the Scriptures, and I'm going to show it to you. We're not all going to receive that. Do you understand the confusion here? So let's look. You didn't think I was going to talk about this and not get to the hard stuff, did you? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, by the way, it's not that I'm smart in any way, but the the word of God gives us the wisdom that we need to to view this. And I've had these conversations with my dear friends, and I love them absolutely. Absolutely love them. Would do anything for them. And I believe we'll be in heaven together. We happen to disagree on what some people will call a second work of grace. But I believe Romans 8 is very clear that those who are God's children will have His Spirit in them without doubt. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read fast, so you've got to listen fast. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says that Jesus is a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Do you understand what that means? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Any gift that promotes you over someone else is not the common good. God will give out and empower, God will indwell in every believer His Spirit. But God will give us manifestations of the Spirit in the moments that He desires for His purpose and His alone. Not to promote you, myself, or anyone else but for His glory that someone may believe and come to repentance through the work of the Holy Spirit. It says, For the one is given through the spirit of utterance of wisdom, And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. And to another one, the ability to distinguish between Spirits. And to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. He being the Holy Spirit. He being God. He gets to choose. And he will give them as he wills because it's about him and his plan of redemption for his people. All of these gifts are from the Holy Spirit, but not all receive all of them. And no one particular gift makes one person any more holy or gifted than another. However, the misuse of a gift is detrimental to the church and should not be permitted or tolerated. Everybody understand what that means? the misuse of a gift is detrimental to the church. Not heritage. God's church. Misuse of a, of a gift to promote self or to elevate oneself. And it doesn't just have to be for money. Sometimes it's for notoriety. Sometimes people just want other people to follow them because they want to be a leader. And the people who actually want that don't understand it and they're probably not fit for it. That's just how I see it. Because I can tell you, I've been a leader for quite some time. It is a lonely job. It's lonely. It's hectic. And it's very tiring. And sometimes, I don't know, listen, I don't even, I'm not even going to act like a moment like I understand what Moses is going through. But if what I go through is just a little smidge of that, boy, Moses must have been clean wore out. Because when you're trying to work three or four different problems all at the same time, thank God for text stuff like that. In First Corinthians chapter twelve, let's go down to verses twelve through thirty-one. It says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. By the way, you see this like teachers, gifts of healing, helping, administrating. All of these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that some people like, I don't know what God wants me to do. Listen, if you're really good at organizing, maybe that's your gift of the Spirit. Because not everybody can do it. Do not walk in my office. You will find out very quickly I do not have the gift of neatness and administration. I got stuff everywhere. Sal goes into a fit when she walks in my office. Like she don't even know. Sometimes she'll come to office and sit in a chair because she needs to talk to me and I'm on the phone with somebody you know, for work. And she'll just sit there and she just kind of puts her arms like this. like She don't want to touch nothing. Just stuff everywhere. Go and focus on the family and go back. There was an old, uh, there, there, there was an old uh, broadcast from way back where uh, James Dobson described the difference between a needy and a messy. A needy being one of those ones that has everything tidy, and a messy being me. We all have a purpose. Now, let's pick it back up on verse 29. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? You know, that's rhetorical, right? Right? Does everybody get everything? It says, but this, verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still more, uh, a still more excellent way. Now, the gift itself does not elevate one person over the other. But he says, desire the higher gifts. So let's see what he, lo- let's see what he says. What does that mean? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let's go over chapter 14. I'm almost done. In 1 Corinthians 14, starting at verse 1, it says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now think about it. Pursue love. What does that mean? Do you pursue love? I remember pursuing love in a different kind of way when I met Sal. I saw her standing at the vending machine of Faraday down in Chantilly, Virginia. And I was like, wow. What angelic being just came into my presence. Bible says you may be be attending angels unaware. Surely she's an angel. Surely there's something different about her. I pursued love. I would drive down to her house an hour and ten minutes out of my way just to put a rose on her car windshield before I went to work so that when she went to work, she'd know that somebody loved her. And that somebody was me. Pursue love. She said, I think you look good in a suit. Never really had one. Guess what? Went and bought a suit. Sal how bought it for me. I wore that suit. I hated it, but I wore it. Why? Because she said, I look good in it. I was pursuing love. She didn't like my old orange truck. I had this old orange Dodge Power Wagon. Ho, ho, ho. 1976. Manual steering. Drum brakes all the way around. You know the kind of truck you can't stop and you can't steer. It was orange. I mean, not the gird. It wasn't a pretty orange. It was a faded old '70s Dodge orange. ho. Oh, I loved that truck. Sal hated that truck. I made the mistake one time. Listen, we was fishing. Sal and I was fishing up at Westridge Hills, up on the mountain. It's a little pond up there. We decided to go fishing. And she I forget what we needed. She goes, I'll run to the store. I'm like, you sure you're going to drive? you going to drive the old Dodge? Ah, oh, I'll be fine. she come back. That's the stupidest vehicle I ever see in my life. I went to go hit the brakes and it took a turn. <laughs> and it was manual steering, so getting it back... Wasn't the easiest thing. I used to take that truck mud bogging. And when you got in the mud hole, you just let go of the steering wheel. It's gonna go where it's gonna go, but it'll break your wrist if you ain't careful. See, that's the dumbest vehicle. Guess what I did? This will show you how far you'll go to pursue love. It'll show you how far you will fall to the depths for love. I got rid of my old Dodge. And I bought a Ford truck. I still have nightmares. (laughs) Hey, listen, I bought a brand new one. I didn't mess around. See, I didn't like that truck. I'll get her one she does like. One she'll be proud to ride in. Why? Because I was pursuing love. Looking for opportunities everywhere to show her how much I care. Jesus showed us how much he cares when he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. And you know what he's saying here? And Paul's saying here, Pursue love like Jesus pursued you by dying on the cross. The amount of things we'll go to for the love of a person. But what will we do to show the love of God? We sit back and we laugh now at the things that we did out of puppy love. But what will we do to show the love of Christ to others? Will we pursue others as Christ pursued us? As we see the love that that nailed him to a cross, it was love that held him there, not the nails. He could have called a legion of angels to come down and rescue him, but he did not do that. Even to the point that he told one that was being crucified beside him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Why? Because he recognized who Jesus was. But Jesus even looked out to the ones who had fixed him to that cross, and he said this, Father, forgive them they don't understand you know what he's really saying I'm giving you the forgiveness ahead of time because when you finally realize what you did today you'll know that I love you too can you imagine the horror of being one of those soldiers and later find out that the the person you nailed to that cross really was the son of God and did you think that they would think that there's forgiveness for them probably not but Jesus made sure that they knew pursue love. He says earnestly to desire the spiritual gifts, we are to pursue love. It says especially that you may prophesy. Let's go to verse 2. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters the mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Do you see what that means? Some people want a gift. So they could say, oh, see, I have the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you right now, if you're truly following Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. How about, you know what? I can tell you a way that you can prove that the Holy Spirit is within you. Pursue love. Don't pursue things that make you built up. Pursue love. Then they'll know that the Spirit was within you. Why? Because you'll love others when nobody else loves them. I had a buddy of mine, why do you love me? Because Christ loves me. And I don't care what you've done he'll still be your savior if you'll call upon him now let's go on down start let's go to verse 6 and 14 now brothers if i come to you speaking in tongues how will i benefit you unless i bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching if even lifeless instruments such as a flute or the harp do not give distinct tones how will anyone know what is played and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound who will get ready for battle So with yourselves, if if your tongue you utter speech that is intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. He says, if you're really wanting to see the manifestations of the Spirit, are you with me, church? If you really want to see the Spirit at work, build up the church. Don't just make yourself get here, but you work so that others may hear and bring them with you. If you really want a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, get involved. Plug in. Do something. Find something that you're good at. Find something the Spirit has given you, whatever gift that is. It might be the gift of brushing toilets. I don't care what it is. Use it. You want to see the Holy Spirit manifest it? then get busy in the church. Amen. Quit wanting something else that shows you the manifestation, so others may around you may think that you're holy and seek to do the work of the Spirit in the building up of the church. Then we'll get something done, folks. Then. I can tell you right now, you can't lead unless you follow first. Followers make the best leaders. Amen? So let's go on. So Paul had to dole out an understanding about how to use these gifts. So let's go down to 1 Corinthians 14. Let's go down to verse 26. I'm skipping over some, uh, Brian, just for the sake of time. Let's go down to verse 26. Paul, if you, I, would, I would really implore you to read down through, all the way through. Uh, well actually, go to 1 Corinthians 13 and read through 14, and you'll get a better understanding. I'm just giving you some specific points today. But Paul said that I'd rather utter five words that man could understand than, ten, than thousands of words in an unknown tongue. But we see the same word used here in tongues. As it was in acts meaning a language or dialect so i tend to fall on the side of that tongues is enabling a believer to speak a language that they did not know but the purpose of that language is not just to prove that god's spirit is upon you but it has a specific purpose as it did in acts chapter 2 as it did in acts chapter 8 when we saw that and then on in chapter 19. they all had a purpose. It was to unite the believers so they realized that the Holy Spirit that fell on them on the day of Pentecost is the same Holy Spirit that is falling on you and I today. The same Spirit we have felt here in His presence. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I just want you to realize that, listen, so I'll just be honest, a lot of Baptists believe that the time for tongues has ceased simply because we have His written word in all these different languages. And so... God's use for that, God, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that God can still give that gift out anytime He wants. He's God. But I will tell you this: if the gift is done, then it ought to follow what Paul gave under God's authority as to how it was to be used in congregations. Paul speaks about praying in tongues, and that's something to be done between you and God, but in corporate worship. We see that the use of tongues is very narrow. And I will have to be honest, I've heard it done wrong many times. I'm not saying that God would not bless us and bless someone with this gift, but I'm telling you if that gift is to be used, it has to follow a very, very clear pattern. And this is given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Paul by God's authority. And this is what we are to follow. It's one thing to use, have that gift, uh, and using that gift, you know, in, in worship to God, in prayer, uh, and in singing hymns when you're in your private time with God. But its use in the public square or in corporate worship, as we typically call it, meaning in, in the church, is very specific. And so let's look at it. 14, verse, starting in verse 26. It says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. I think you've already seen that that theme as we've read through here. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, at most three, and each in turn. That means nobody's doing it at the same time. Everybody with me? I've been in services where that's not been the case. According to what Paul has written here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, given by God's authority, it's never to be done at the same time. One at a time. Two at most three. It says then, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. In corporate worship, there is no practice of tongues without interpretation or it is not done according to the scriptures, pure and simple. Again, I love people on different sides of the aisle of this topic. I love them. And some of us just stay away from this conversation because we already know we disagree on it. We agree on the major things. We, agree, we believe that we are saved through Christ and Christ alone, right? He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. We agree on those things. We disagree on some of these, what we call marginal items. These marginal items are not, you know, issues of salvation. These marginal items are more a practice of worship. But I believe this is very clear. It says, but if there is no one to interpret, let them keep silent in church and speak to themselves on God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh in what's said. If a revelation is to be made uh, to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For if you can all prophesy one by one, so that all learn and will all be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to the prophets. For the God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, if you read the whole chapter, you'll find out Paul says, what is, what is someone going to think if they hear tongues with no interpretation? They're going to think that you're mad or something's going on. And, and who gets edified if someone speaks in another language that we can't get the interpretation for? But I also think there's some modern day, some modern day exhibits of this that you may not consider. But I believe it's manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Someone who can learn more than one language to me is like you're a bomb. I know a couple of Spanish words, but I can't use them in corporate worship or anywhere else, for that matter. You spend enough time on a construction job, you'll learn some things, and they ain't all good. I don't have the ability to do that. But let me tell you about our trip to Mexico. We go to Mexico, and we're there at a church, all Spanish-speaking church. I can't speak Spanish. But I preached that day. The Holy Spirit used me, and Brother Josue interpreted. And they received the word, not only from me as God gave me, the wisdom and the utterance through his Holy Spirit to speak the message that day, but also through the gift that God has given Josue to know both languages and to be able to interpret so those people could hear. And then they were lining the altars. It was an amazing service that day. The altar was completely packed full. And Josue and I got to go pray for each one of them. Oh, we spent some time. We had a good time. I didn't know them and I couldn't understand them and they couldn't understand me. But through interpretation we were able to deliver the gospel and people's lives were changed. Amen. Amen. Listen, if God gives you a gift, that gift is to be used for the building up of the church, not for your self-gratification and not anything else. Can God use tongues today? Absolutely. But that's not what Pentecost was about. Pentecost was the spirit coming in such a way that left no doubt in the heart's of those present, that the Holy Spirit had arrived. And then when you look at how what happened that day of Pentecost moved throughout the land, spreading to the half-Jew, to the god fears and then on to the Gentiles, to leave no doubt that the Holy Spirit that empowered the Jews that day, the 50th day after Passover, It's the same Holy Spirit that indwelled the believers of Ephesus, Corinth, Samaria, and everywhere in between. There was a purpose for tongues that day. And if God decides to use them in present day, it's His will. He can do what He wants. But if He does it, He'll use it for His edification, not yours and not mine. Now, I often think about if people want such a gift, Paul said pray for the gift of prophecy. And I wonder why more people don't do that. How come people ain't praying for that? Here's my thought. I can't challenge you on tongues because I don't know what you're saying. But if you say that you prophesy and it don't come true, that makes you a false prophet. That's a lot easier to find out, is it? That's a lot easier to be caught that you're doing something for self gain. What a beautiful day. The Holy Spirit arrives. And just as Jesus walked with his disciples, he said, I'm going away, but there comes one after me, the comforter, the cum forte, the strength, one who walks alongside and strengthens us so that we may be his witnesses. So now let's go back to that original verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit will use us and empower us for the building up of his church, not for the sake of numbers, but to add to the kingdom that may live and reign with him eternally when he comes back for his church. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?